0: Hello, this is Brett Martin from Chesbro Baptist Church, and we're continuing our series on being encouraged in the Lord as we go through the book of Psalms and study the life of David. This morning, we're going to be in Psalms 52, and the title of the message this morning is, How Do We Encourage ourselves When the Bad Guy Wins? Please enjoy. Psalm number 52. We're in the middle of a series, and I've taken a little break past couple weeks. We've had some special speakers speak, but uh, we're going to get right back into our series on the subject of being encouraged, and that's the title of the series that we're in the middle of, is being encouraged, and what we're going to do in this series is go through the book of Psalms and how it relates to the life of David, and we're going to see how David encouraged himself in the Lord. If you have your places in Psalms fifty two, I'm gonna ask you to please stand one last time in respect and reverence of the word of God if you're physically able. Let's begin in Psalm fifty two and verse number one. Why boasteth thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs Like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness, Selah. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall in likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place, and root thee out of the land of the living, Selah. The righteous also shall see and fear, and shall laugh at him. Lo this, uh, lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Thy am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. The title of the message this morning is When the Bad Guy Wins. When the Bad Guy Wins. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this morning that you would clear our minds. I pray that you would clear our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would open up our spirits to receive the word of God today. May the Holy Spirit speak to us through this book this morning. And, Lord, may we go out different than how we came in. Be with us this morning. Bless us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, of course, this psalm, if you read the superscript of this psalm, this psalm refers back to an instance in David's life. And we'll talk about that instance here in just a second. But you know, sometimes what I, what I do is I won't have any cars to do at the shop and I'll get on the internet and I'll just click through Yahoo or I'll click through Google and I'll just look at this news article and I'll look at this news article. I don't watch the, 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 the 10 o'clock news because it's incredibly depressing. And so about the only news I get is from Yahoo, the articles they put up, and every once in a while they, they'll they put an article, and I'll read something and go on, and it's bad to say, but you almost have to get callous at a lot of this stuff, you know, a lot of the stuff that happens nowadays, and, and, you know, Jeff Foxworthy, he's told the story one time as, you know, he was reading this story, and it said, 200 people uh, went off a cliff and died in, in uh, the Middle East. They went off a cliff and the, bus, and the bus went over the cliff and 200 people died. And Jeff Foxworthy said, well, how in the world did you get 200 people on a bus? You know, he just said that because he's just so callous. You hear these stories, these bad stories over and over. You just get callous to it. And it's sad to say, but it's true. But every once in a while I'll read a story and it'll it just hit me the wrong way. And I have to write it down because, you know, I I don't have all timers. I got some timers. I don't remember stuff, so I have to write stuff down. And, you know, what I'll do is if I'll see something that really picks at my heart or grabs my attention, I'll write the story down. and Every couple days, I'll check back on the progress of it. Let me give you an example. Uh, Maybe a couple months ago, there was a there was a woman in a, in a bus in Las Vegas and she was very mean and she was cussing people out and acting very nasty. And this elderly man who was sitting beside her and said, just be nice. Can you just please be nice? Just be nice to people. As soon as that elderly man got up to get out of the bus, this young 26-year-old woman pushed this man out of the bus. He hit the concrete and a month later he died from his injuries. So I went back to the story of a couple days because I wanted wanted this lady to get caught. I wanted justice served. So I went back, and after a week or so of checking back on this this story, they caught the lady, and they brought her to justice. Too bad it doesn't always work that way. I was reading a story a couple years ago about a woman in Jackson, Mississippi, how she got, got out of her car, went inside the store to grab something real quick, and while she was in the store the video cameras recorded two men getting into her car and stealing her car fortunately her toddler little boy was in the back seat unfortunately those men decided to kill that child dumped that child on the side of the interstate man when i read that it made me mad and my blood started to boil I wrote that story down, and I started checking back time and time again. Every couple days, I checked that story to see if they caught those dudes. And every week, and it came week after week, and month after month, and after a couple of months, they didn't catch them. And I just quit looking. Now, I don't know for certain. I can't tell you for sure. But to my knowledge, those men were never caught. Sometimes, the bad guy gets away with it. Sometimes the bad guy wins. So here we are at this psalm in the life of David, and David is running from Saul, and, and he goes to the tabernacle. He goes to the man of God, and the man of God at that time was a man named Ahimelech. Ahimelech was the priest. And David went into the, uh, David went into the, to the tabernacle that day running from Saul, and he thought to himself, man, I'm, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I'm in a really, really bad situation. I don't have any provisions. I don't have anybody I can turn to. I don't have anybody I, 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 I can tell my troubles to. And if I tell people the truth, there's no way they're going to go against the king. There's no way they're going to go against King Saul. So what did David decide to do? David decided to lie to the priest. He went to old Ahimelech and he, could, he convinced Ahimelech that he was on a secret Mission. Old David, he became 007. He deceived, convinced the priest that he was on a secret mission from the government and that he needed the priest's help. So, what did the priest do? David was a good guy, he'd have no reason not to believe David. So, the priest went over to the table of showbread and gave David the showbread to eat. And then he reached behind a maybe a pew or reached behind a cabinet and pulled out a big sword and gave it to David. And that was the sword of Goliath. Man, to David, everything probably was going okay that day. Man, David said, probably thought to himself, man, you know, I've got my stomach full of bread. I've got this big sword now. I've got a weapon I can defend myself. And David thought everything was going well that day. But something had happened there at that tabernacle that David was not anticipating. There at that tabernacle that day was a man named Doeg. Old Doeg was there that day. Let me tell you something about Doeg. Doeg was a wicked, evil, sinister man, and Doeg was there that day. Now, there's nothing in the Word of God that suggests that Doeg was at the tabernacle that day to worship God. In fact, the Bible goes out of its way to say that Doeg was not there to worship God. Let me read for you 1 Samuel 21, 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. He didn't want to be there. And his name was Doeg and Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. Even the Bible says that Doeg was forced to be there. As chief of Saul's security, he was there on assignment. He wasn't there spying on David. He was there from either point of view. He was there either at the right place or the right t- at the right time, or he's at the wrong place at the wrong time, depending how you want to look at it. But there Doeg was, and Doeg saw everything. We see. We will see as we go through this message today. We will see that Doeg is an evil man. We will see that Doeg is a sinister man, but there was nothing sinister about him being at the tabernacle that day. Yes, he was there on assignment. Yes, he was forced to be there. He didn't want to be there, but it wasn't nothing evil. He wasn't there spying on David. It was just by chance. You know, and as soon as David got that bread and he filled his belly, and as soon as David got the sword of Goliath, he headed off towards the Philistine territory. But while David was headed that way, old Doeg, he was headed this way, and he was headed north over the hills of Jerusalem to the palace of the king of King Saul. It wasn't very long after Doeg got to the palace, he got there just in time to see King Saul chewing out his staff. Old King Saul was chewing out his staff and he said, I know all of y'all are in league with David. I know you are. If you weren't in league with David, we would have found him already. I know you're in league with David. And just as he was chewing out his staff, one man stepped forward. One man raised his hand. And that was an old, evil, sinister man named Doeg. What did Doeg say? First Samuel 22, 9 through 10. Then Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord from him and gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Man, that's all, that's all Doeg had to say. Before you know it, Saul had went down there with a troop of soldiers and Saul had grabbed Ahimelech and his family and the remaining priests and they were arrested for conspiracy. They were arrested and charged with conspiracy. And while Ahimelech was being questioned about David, Ahimelech defended the character of David. And that's all King Saul had to hear. That's all King Saul had to hear. The fate of the whole group was sealed at that second. What happened next is hard to imagine. All these 85 priests were lined up. Their families back in the village. And old King Saul, he looked at his footmen and said, kill them. And the footmen didn't do anything. Man, you understand that disobeying the order of a king was a capital offense? None of Saul's soldiers, none of his footmen wanted to do this. The king commanded and nobody moved. Why? Because it was so evil. It was so sinister. It was so wicked. It was so vile that no soldier in Saul's army wanted to do this evil, wicked thing. It was very bad. Kill all these priests for what? They didn't do anything. Even this guy right here, Ahimelech, it's not his fault David lied to him, but Saul didn't care. Saul wanted him dead. None of his soldiers would do it. But there was a man there. His name was Doeg. And old Doeg stepped forward and Doeg said, I'll do it. Holdoeg was a bloodthirsty, wicked man who couldn't wait to get the go-ahead to kill. And on that day, he killed 85 priests. He went back to the village. The Bible says that when he went back to know he smote with the edge of the sword, both men and women and children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. It was horrific, and it was devastating. This one man destroyed so many lives. This one man destroyed so many families. In fact, there was only one man to survive, and it was Ahimelech's son, a priest by the name of Abathar. Abathar immediately, he got away, and he immediately went to David, and he went to David, and he gave the report. Old David felt guilty. Old David, as soon as he heard the report from Abathar, he knew that he was responsible. He took responsibility for it. In fact, 1 Samuel twenty-two twenty-two says, And David said unto Abathar, I knew it that day, when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Man, you know, David might have, David might have lied, and David did a bad thing, and it was the priest's death was indirectly David's fault. But man, the man who carried out that crime. The man who killed those priests and killed those families and killed those women and killed those children and destroyed those lives. Man, that was a bad guy. That was an evil guy. That was a sinister guy. You know what I would love to do? I would love to take the Bible and I'd love to open the Bible and I'd love to show you a book, chapter and verse where Doeg got what he was coming to him. I'd love to show you a chapter and verse where he got the wrath of God and he got the judgment of God and he got what was coming to him but I can't because it doesn't exist I can't take you in this Bible and show you where Doeg got punished I can't take you in this Bible and show you where he got his comeuppance I want to but I can't because it's not in the word of God in fact outside of Psalms 52 There's no more references of this story, not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. In fact, the only references that Jewish historians have to Doeg is Jewish historians inform us that he went on to be a great scholar. How awful, how horrible. This man did not get judged. You would say that Doeg seemed to have dodged a proverbial bullet. Well, at least for as long as he lived on this earth. At least for as long as he lived on this earth. So here's my question this morning. How do we encourage ourselves when so many wicked people get away with their crimes? How do we do it? How do we encourage ourselves? What do you do when you've been hurt by someone? What do you do when you've been injured by someone and they get away with it and they don't apologize for it and they don't care to make it right and it seems like they get away scot-free? What do you do? What do you do when someone commits a crime against you? What do you do when someone hurts you? What do you do when someone injures you and they get away with it? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to go through Psalms 52. We're going to see what David has to say about old Doeg and the situation. But first thing I want you to see in Psalms 52, it talks about the wickedness of Doeg. The wickedness of Doeg. Verse number 1, it says that Doeg was a mighty man. It says that Doeg was a mighty man. I want you to know that Doeg was a strong and Doeg was a capable warrior. This is a guy that knew how to fight. This is a guy that was strong. This is a guy that did not lose battles. The Bible calls him a mighty man. But you know what? Also, verse one says. Verse one says he was a mighty man, but it also says he boasteth. He boasteth. Man, he boasted. He knew he was a mighty man, and he wanted everybody else to know too. He wanted everybody else to know how mighty he was, how strong he was, how great he was, and that's why he boasted. You see, the Hebrew word for boast is a powerful, powerful study. Um, It's also translated as the word praise. And it's translated as the word praise, and of course, that is most commonly used in reference to exalting God. The, The root word... Uh, it, it, It refers to the giving off of light by a celestial body. You see, when we praise God, we want all the attention on God. We want all the light on God. But when Doeg boasted when he puffed up himself, when he boasted on what he did and he boasted on his own evil works and he boasted after all these things that he did, what Doeg was saying, I want the light on me. I want the attention on me. I want to be the only star in the sky. And that's what he did. He boasted. He boasted. I also want you to see in verse number one, he boasted, look at the phrase that says, thou thyself. You know what that means? That means that he freely admitted to committing this horrible act of genocide. Man, if me and you were did this, if me and you had done this, we would probably hide our heads in the, in the sand in shame. We'd be so ashamed of what we did. We wouldn't want to go out in public. We'd keep it a secret. We wouldn't tell anybody. It's probably something we would take to our grave as a secret. We'd be so ashamed, but not old Doeg. He wanted you to know. Can you see him today? Yeah, I killed him. I killed all those 85 priests. I slit their throats. I cut their heads off, I killed the women, I killed the children, I didn't care about their screams, I killed them all, I freely admit it, I did it! Can you see the arrogance? Can you see the smugness on old Doeg as he convinces himself that he can't be stopped? You know, we see in verse 1 that Doeg personally confronted the goodness of God, which by the 1 verse 1 says, the goodness of God endureth continually. But I want you to know this morning that it's awful hard to exhaust the mercy of God. It's awful hard to exhaust the kindness of God. It's awful hard to exhaust the faithfulness of God. It's awful hard to exhaust the loyalty of God. It's awful hard to exhaust the love of God. But that's exactly what wig managed to do. Verse number two. Verse number two tells us that his filthy mouth was epitomized by his soul. It uses the words here that his words were like a sharp razor. Now, a razor can be used for good. A razor can be used to cut a man's hair. My dad has cut hair for 50 years. He can cut a head of hair with a straight razor and a comb. That's all he needs. He doesn't need anything else. He doesn't need no fancy clippers. Electricity, what is that? He can use a straight razor and a comb to cut a man's head of hair. So, you know, that can be used in a good, but here, you know what you can also use a straight razor, uh, a sharp razor for? You can slit a man's throat with it. And that's exactly what Doeg did with his words. He slit people's throats. Let's read verse number three and four. Thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness Silla. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. You know, it's one thing for a man to do evil. We all do evil from time to time. It's one thing for a person to do evil, but it's another thing to have a passion for it. Doeg had a Passion for evil. He had a passion for it. Do, a man like Doeg wakes up and he lives to sin. His whole reason for living is sin. Doegs wake up in the morning planning. They wake up in the morning plotting. They wake up in the morning conniving. Oh, Doegs, uh, no one like Doeg can be trusted no one can trust him. Old Egg is a murderer, a bully, a narcissist, a liar. But let me tell you today that God has his number. Man, the the people of Saul's court may tremble at the sight of Doeg and the citizens at Nob may tremble at the sight of Doeg. But God does not fear Doeg and God does not tremble at the sight of Doeg. He does not have any fear of him. He is not afraid of him. Neither is God afraid of any terrorist. In fact, God delivered four blunt promises directly to Doeg in verse number five. The Bible says, God shall likewise destroy thee forever, he shall take thee away, and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place, and root thee out of the land of the living, Selah. When God says he's going to destroy something, it means he's going to pound it into the ground until there is nothing left. Like a building being annihilated and leveled, he will pound and he will pound until there is nothing left. And then the next phrase it says, that, uh, next it says, God would take thee away. That phrase, take thee away, what it pictures is it pictures someone grabbing a tree and twisting and pulling until that tree is pulled completely out of the ground. It says, just as as he had ripped the Himalek away from his home, just as he had ripped all those priests away from their home, so would God pluck Doeg out of his house. When God was done with Doeg, there would not be so much as a root left because God's judgment is absolute and God's judgment is final. When I read about this judgment on this old, filthy, evil person called Doeg, it reads to me like God's going to send an EF5 tornado after him. That storm's going to hit him. It's going to level him, take him up, pluck him out, and all the roots are going to be gone. One day, old Doeg is going to pay. One day, he's going to pay for what he's done. However, on this side of eternity... Doesn't always work that way. On this side of eternity, it does not always work that way. On Earth, justice is not always just. On July the fourteenth, two thousand fifteen, the Center for Medical Progress began to release a series of videos. These videos um, they showed crimes against unborn children committed by the pagan nonprofit organization called Planned Parenthood. At least 10 videos were viewed by millions of people showing these atrocities and it caused a firestorm of backlash against this organization. People called out to their politicians to do something about it. They begged their politicians to do something about it. And there, were, there were a few publicity-seeking politicians in, in D.C., that said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We hear you, and we're going to defund Planned Parenthood. 2015, a campaign swept through D.C. in order to defund Planned Parenthood. Everybody thought, man, we're we're going in the right direction. We're doing the right thing. However, on December 16th of that year, the Republican-led Congress not only fully Funded Planned Parenthood But they gave them A 286 Million dollar bonus A month later The charges A grand jury convened And the charges against them Were dropped And the two men That produced the videos They were indicted Sometimes the bad guy wins So what do we do? What do we do when the bad guy wins? Man, it's easy not to be encouraged. It's easy just to throw our hands up in the air and just say, I quit. The world we live in has become so pagan. The world we live in has become so profane. It seems helpless. But David found a way. David found a way to remind us that things aren't as bad as they may seem. God will see the dough eggs of the world. God will see the Planned Parenthood crowd. God will see the self-serving wicked politician who's only in it to get re-elected. He will see they will answer for their crimes. The last trial has not started and the last verdict has not been read. We may not get the satisfaction of seeing it on this side of eternity. We might not get the satisfaction of seeing it. But one day, we will see them pay one day we will have a front row seat we will get that satisfaction one day it won't be taken away from us verse number six the righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him hey when the Planned Parenthood crowd, when the abortionists crowd, when those doctors that murder babies, hey, when they get up to heaven, hey, we're gonna see them get their comeuppets. We're gonna see them get judged. We're gonna see the wrath of God. These self-serving politicians, we're gonna see them get their comeuppets one day. One day, Doe Egg will stand before God, and on the front row of the seat of that courthouse will be those eighty-five priests, will be their families, will be their wives, will will be their children and they will stand there before God and they will see Doeg pay for his crimes. They will see it one day. How are they going to respond when the priests see this? the tables turned on old Doeg? The Bible says they will respond with fear. God's judgment will be so fierce and so awesome that these priests are going to fear God for what he's doing for old Doeg. And then the Bible says they will have a holy laugh as the sentence is carried out. And as judgment comes down on old Doeg, the priests are going to point their hands and say in verse 7, Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. One day it will be like that. One day, those evil, wicked people, one day, those people that that rail against Christianity and want to destroy us and that do bad things to us and seemingly get away with it, one day, they're going to pay. But here's the question this morning. What do we do until then? One day, they're going to pay. One day, they're going to get what's coming to them. But how do we deal with those wicked dough eggs today? I know they're going to pay one day in eternity, but how am I supposed to live my life today with these evil, evil people, with these evil influence coming after me and beating on me and trying to destroy me and trying to destroy my kids and destroy my family and destroy my marriage? How do I deal with them today? Verse 8 and 9 tells us how we should live our lives. The first thing I want you to see is David says in the Word of God, and the Bible says we're to have a growing life. We're to have a growing life. First part of verse number 8. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. You know what David realized? David realized that a person living for God is like a green olive tree. The olive tree is an incredible illustration of blessing. The olive tree makes gallons and gallons of oil. And this oil is used for food. It's used for medicines. It's used for ointments. It's used for light. It's used for just about everything. Better yet, what David realized is that the olive tree can survive for hundreds of years. This means that David knew he would outlast, oh, oh, outlast old doe egg. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to start a campfire with green wood? It doesn't work too well, does it? And even when you put a green log on a fire that's already going, man, it takes a long time for that green log to burn. You know why? Because that green tree, it's stronger. It's stronger than the dead tree. The green tree is stronger. And I want to tell you this morning that a green tree in the Old Testament is a picture of prosperity, to picture prosperity psalms 1 and verse number 3 and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper psalms 37 35 i have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree psalm 92 12 the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree he shall grow like a cedar in lebanon So not only am I supposed to be like this green tree and grow and get stronger, but I want you to notice the tree's location. The tree's location in the house of God. Now the house of God here is referred to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was considered the place where God was supposed to reside. Psalms 51.1 Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in my holy hill? Psalm 23:6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalms 27, 4 through 5, One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me his pavilion, and the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Now obviously they would not plant an olive tree inside the tabernacle. But what they would do is they would plant the tree in one of the courts. You had an inner court and an outer court. And all all the courts in the tabernacle, everything together was considered the house of God. And when you planted the tree inside of the court of the tabernacle, that tree instantly became sacred. That a tree planted in the court of the house of God instantaneously became protected and it was safe. Because it was sacred. And as long as that tabernacle was there, you know, they would move the tabernacle from time to time. As long as that tabernacle was there, that tree was safe. So, David, what are we supposed to do? David, what do we do when we have doe eggs seeking to destroy us and may seemingly get away with it? Well, we plant ourselves in the house of God. We grow in the grace of knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we have faith that God will protect us. Number two this morning. First, we have a growing life. Number two, we have a trusting life. We have a trusting life. Last part of verse number eight. I trust the mercy of God forever and ever. You know what is funny here? It's funny that David is declaring that he's going to do something that Doeg said he wouldn't do. David is saying he's going to do something that Doeg said he wouldn't do. Look back at verse number 7. What Doeg said, trusted in the abundance of his riches. David said, oh, Doeg, you may trust in your riches. You may trust in the abundance of your riches, but not me, buddy Roe. Me, I trust in the mercy of God. Let me tell you something, Christian, that is why they will fail and we will succeed. Because we trust in the mercy of God and they do not. They will fail. We will win. We will succeed because we trust in the mercy of God. We trust in the mercy of God today. Now, I want you to see that the, we see the phrase all the time trust in god but when you trust in god you know actually what you're trusting in anytime you trust in god what you're trusting in is the mercy of god when you trust in god that's what you trust in you may say i trust god to keep me safe then you're trusting in his mercy i trust god to help me make the right decision then you're trusting in his mercy I trust God to help me through this financial situation, then you're trusting in his mercy. Even I've even said the words from this pulpit. I've said trust in the grace of God. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. You understand that the reason why we have grace, the reason why we have unmerited favor is because of the mercy of God. Anytime you trust in the Lord, you're trusting in his mercy. What is the source of God's mercy? The source of God's mercy is his goodness. And what did we learn in verse 1 of this psalm? God's goodness endureth continually. We can always trust in God. We can always trust in God. Don't be like no egg. Don't trust in your own strength. Don't be like Doeg, don't trust in your own riches, don't trust in material things, don't trust in temporary things to get you through. Don't be like Doeg and every time you come against an enemy, turn back to your sin. We got too many people doing that today. They come up against opposition and they come up against uh, an enemy. Instead of turning back to the mercy of God, they turn back to their sin. We don't need Christians to do that today. We need Christians that will trust in God's mercy. We need Christians who will say, I have always trusted in God's mercy. I will always trust in God's mercy. I still trust in God's mercy. No matter what circumstances lie before me, I will trust in the mercy of God. Number three this morning is we need a thankful life. We need a thankful life. First part of verse number nine. I will praise Thee forever. While waiting on the justice of God in the house of God, we need to be thankful in praise. Just like we must look to God like as in Psalms 145, I will extol Thee, my God, O King. I will bless Thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless thee. I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. When someone hurts you, when someone injures you, when someone does something unfairly evil to you and they get away with it, the last thing you want to do is praise God. When you've been treated unfairly and you got the short end of the stick and somebody hurt you and they got got away with it scot-free, the last thing you want to do is be thankful. The last thing you want to do is praise God. But you know what? That's exactly what you need to do. Now, why though? But why? David gives us a reason. The next phrase, because thou hast done it know what God is saying? God is saying, you need to look at your enemies like I look at them. And how is that? When someone injures you, you need to consider that person to have already received their sentence. When someone injures us, we need to consider, that okay, God's already got their number. God's already punished them. The promise of God... To avenge his children is so assured that we need to look at the dough eggs like they've already been punished. Even though they might not know it yet. Even though they might not know they've gotten punished, we need to consider them, oh, they've already gotten punished. Because, hey, God's already done it. Hey, you don't have to wait on God to punish them. God's already punished them. They just don't know it yet. Deuteronomy 32, 35. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things that shall come upon them shall uh, upon them make haste. Leave revenge to God. Leave justice to God. And when somebody hurts you, even though on this earth it may look like they got away with it, you need to understand that in God's eyes they've already been punished. They just don't know it yet. They've already got what's coming to them. And then number four, a patient life. A patient life. Last part of verse number nine. And I will wait on thy name. So, so so let's recap real quick. So far, what do we do when we've been hurt by unfair oppression? What do we do? Oh, number one, we go to the house of God and grow. Number two, we trust in his mercy. Number three, we sing praises and thanks to God. And number four, we wait on his name. We wait on the name of God. A dough egg will drive you crazy if you don't learn patience. A dough egg will drive you up a slick wall. You will go to bed. You will think about them. You will close your eyes, you will picture them, you will grind your teeth, you'll hit the wall, you'll mumble under your breath. If you do not learn patience, a dough egg will drive you slap crazy. Know what the key to victory against an an enemy of God? The key to victory against an enemy of God is patience. It's patience. It's waiting on God to carry out His judgment. All we have to do is wait and God will take care of it. Bible says in Psalms 37.7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of Him who prospereth in His way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Psalm 37.9, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Psalms 37, 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. We are here today waiting on God to fulfill his promises. That's what we're doing today. We're waiting here today for God to fulfill his promises. And that's good. You want to know why waiting on God is good? I'll tell you why waiting on God is good. Waiting on God is good because it has a side effect. It has a very good side effect. In fact, David alluded to this side effect in verse 9. He says, for it is good before the saints. David, why is waiting on God good? The answer is in Isaiah 40, 31. Some of you already know the verse before I have a chance to read it. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. David knew that in waiting on God to fulfill his promises, in waiting on God to judge his enemies, David knew he would be strengthened. David knew this. Waiting on God, Christian, does not make you weak. Waiting on God makes you strong. Waiting on God uh, does not give your enemies the advantage. Waiting on God gives your enemies the disadvantage. Waiting on God heals your injuries. Waiting on God gives you a second wind. Waiting on God gives you a fire to serve Him that cannot be quenched. When your enemies attack and come to the house, of, when your enemies attack, then we need to come to the house of God and sit back and watch the fireworks show of God's wrath that will come down upon them. When you let go and let God, you won't believe how much better you feel. Jesus taught us this lesson. If anybody was treated unfairly, it was Christ. If anybody got the short end of the stick, if anybody was injured unjustly by evil dough eggs, it was Christ. Let me tell you what they called Christ. His enemies said he was possessed with a devil. They called him a Samaritan, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a demoniac, one in league with Beelzebub, a perverter of the nation, and a deceiver of the people. He was struck in the face, crowned with thorns, beaten with a reed, scourged, forced to carry his cross, and crucified Christ was more than able to destroy his enemies without breaking a sweat. But yet, in that hour of injustice, he taught me and you how to react. In 2 Peter 2.23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judges righteously. In the early 1900s, there was a young preacher. His name was George Young. Him and his wife, they were in the ministry and George had a heart for planting rural churches in America's heartland. George and his wife, they loved the Lord. His love and passion for God Probably offset the self pity he might have felt for the poverty that he was in. Him and his wife were very, very poor. Now, when George wasn't preaching, he was a carpenter. George and his wife, they were preaching and doing all they could. And for years and years, George and his wife, they would scrimp and they would save every dime, they would save every penny. Until one day a friend of theirs gave them a piece of land. Old George and his wife, they went to that piece of land and George was a carpenter so he began to build a little house. It was what they had wanted all their lives. They had built this little house and it was done and they moved all their stuff in it. And they were so excited they finally got their dream home. Right after they moved in, George had to go. George and his wife had had a preaching meeting, and so they went to the preaching meeting. And when they got done with the preaching meeting, they were on their way back home, and they were just so excited in the anticipation of getting into their dream home. They couldn't wait. Little did George know that while he was gone, an enemy of the gospel burned it to the ground. Every photo. Every keepsake, every possession, pile of ashes. George stood amongst amongst the destruction. And for some reason, what washed over George at that time was the sweet presence of God. The presence of God filled his heart. Words began to fill his mind. And before you know it, those words were on a piece of paper. Those words still serve today to remind the saved that God's name is still good. (coughs) Here are the words. In shady green pastures so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads us, your children, along. Sometimes in the valley, in the darkest of night, God leads us, your children, along. Through the sor- though the sorrows befall us and Satan oppose, God leads us, your children, along. Through grace we can conquer, defeat all our foes. God leads us, your children, along. Away from the mire, away from the clay, God leads us, your children, along. Away up in glory, eternity's day. God leads his dear children along, some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. So David, he calls up the choir director. Hey, choir director, I got a song for you. I got a song for the man who has lost hope i got a song for the victim of unfair oppression. We can trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. We can praise Him forever and ever. We can wait on His name. He is still leading His children along. Because after all, isn't that how we encourage ourselves in the Lord?